if you go down their schedule, you see a bunch of different teams. Um, of course, you see <laughs> what an asinine uh, statement. Oh, well said. If you look at their schedule, you see the teams that they played. You see- <laughs> Welcome to Chapel Bell Curve, a stats-focused podcast about UGA football. I'm Nathan. And I'm Justin. And today we're going to talk about the Rose Bowl, Nathan. Yeah, we're going to talk about the Rose Bowl. We're going to preview the national championship. We're going to do these in sort of a free-flowing manner. We're going to do our experience, you know, stuff we didn't cover in our quick phone call. We're just going to talk about what we think is going to be happening coming up in the national championship, which is still a little unreal to say that. (laughs) The national championship. Those of you at home who are listening now, you'll not ever know this, but we did just have about 15 minutes where we thought we were recording, but we weren't recording. And to be fair, though, it was like nine minutes of Nathan just trying to compose himself enough to speak of his uh, yeah experiences. Really. So I think he's got it now. Yeah. <laughs> so I guess we can talk back about uh, experiences. So a little bit, we, we did dive into it a little bit with the phone calls and everything, which is a new format yeah, we're yeah, kind of experimenting yeah. with, but... Did you have anything else you wanted to kind of add and talk about that really stood out to you being in Pasadena, being in Los Angeles? Yeah, I mean, I I think just and the last time I delivered this story, I was not as um, I was not as composed as I am right now. So that's good. Maybe this will give me another shot at having uh, coming up with something cogent. So I thought, you know, I I said this I talked about this when we did the phone call, but I, I cannot emphasize just the how proud and happy I was to watch this band and this organization perform you know they get up at three and they go to the rose bowl parade and they stage a five and they do this 5.3 mile parade and in the first 300 feet of the rose bowl there's a, there's something called the turn it's like a hundred degree turn it is hell on earth for band uh, there's a lot of like technical reasons why that is but it just it's almost it's nearly impossible to march correctly and when when bands march this parade they march they have like 16 months to prep and basically the Redcoats did the parade on like a hundred minutes worth of prep, like three practices worth. And yeah, they did well. They did re- like damn well. And they mm-hmm. played the whole time. And at the end of the parade where I saw it, when it was like five miles in, they were still playing. They were still loud. They were still the best, you know, ensemble, I think in the parade. And so that in itself was like a minor miracle and incredibly impressive. And then they go straight to a pep rally. Then they go straight and play pregame. Then they play all the way through the first half. We go into halftime. We're down by 14. You know, as someone who works with band, that's like a recipe for disaster. Like if the if the team's getting killed and you don't have anything to play for competitively, it's really harder to go out there and give a good performance. And, you know, that show should have been bad. It really should have. It had every reason to be bad. It had no reasons to be successful. Seniors, pro- you know, most seniors probably thought it was their last performance. The band thought it was the last time they were going to be together, and it, you know, there was no rational explanation or prediction that you could make that something positive was going to happen when they walked out on that field. And the staging was insane. And we get down there, and it's like there are people everywhere, and everyone's running right before the whistle comes up. They get whistled up, they get counted off, and it's like. I mean, it was just the best show they played ever all year. The first hit was like getting hit in the face. And, you know, they get into the second tune. They're playing whipping posts. And it is the just the purest Redcoat sound I've ever heard. They play just this incredible show. There's nothing left in the tank. All, they gotta do, all they're out there to do is just play the best show. They just totally destroy it. By all, by all accounts, that should have probably been when they turned it in, right? They think they're going to lose. They play this incredible show that's so impressive. It makes me cry. And then they, you know, they just kind of like phone in the rest of the, the game because we lose. Well, then we didn't lose. And so mm. <laughs> as we come back, they start playing Choker, and which is the DSRA. And they played Choker a hundred times. And we get to the second overtime and the last Choker is as loud as the first Choker was. Like they just never, it, they never... They had nothing left in the tank at halftime. Then they just decided to say screw it and just keep playing until their lips literally bled, some of them. Mm-hmm. And I don't know. I mean, I, I, I'm so proud to be part of this organization. And I'm so – I feel so – I don't know. It's, it's, it's a rare and wonderful thing to be around a people, a group of people doing what they do at the highest possible level, 
not because of money or because of fame, but just because they believe in what they're doing and they think it's important and they love the people that are around them. And if you can find that, it is something that you should cherish and hold up and honor, I think. So yeah, that was the biggest thing I wanted to say. I I guess I have some other experiential stuff too we can talk about. Um, It was definitely, I thought that the game was a testament to the strength of this program organizationally. And now I'm not talking about the Redcoats. I'm talking about the football program. Um, and there, and it seems, you know, a long, for a long time, the, well, not for a long time, but throughout the season, which feels like it has been five years long, by the way, throughout the season, people have been talking about how, well, now UGA has an identity, right? UGA, they run the ball, they play really good defense. And that's true. And I think it's important to have an identity as, you know, tactically, but I think that philosophically we now have an identity that was shown in this game, which is that, you know, you may have more talent than us. Um, you may, and that's hard to control, right? I mean, you can with recruiting, but it's just, you know, it's a crapshoot. And you may be smarter than us, which, I mean, as an organization, that's probably not the case usually, but it's, I suppose, possible. But it seems like that Kirby has just decided that the only thing he can really control is that he will not be out-prepared and out-worked. And, it's, and, I, and I think that it's really clear that it's like, it's not just about a commitment to work ethic and a commitment to preparedness. Everybody has that. It's about a commitment to like maximize the efficiency of the processes that lead to a prepared team to, to saber metrics, not the process of football, but the process of preparing to play football, to find market inefficiencies in the development process of the team at a logistical level and at a tactical level. And you could see like, it was really clear that, I mean, you, you you don't just go in at halftime in 15 minutes and figure out 100 new plays to run for a defense. You go in at halftime and you pull out the second binder of stuff that you're planning to do if you shift your strategy that you had prepared based on the film you already had on top of the original game plan. Yeah, it wasn't just like brand new stuff. It was everything that I already prepared. It, yeah. Um, which is, you mentioned the word identity and talking about tactical identity and something that everyone's always known Georgia for before is having everybody calls us running back university and everybody says that uh you know we just run the ball and run the ball until we can't run the ball anymore and that all led me into an article i was reading by none other than lane kiffin um lane kiffin wrote an article or did an interview not too long ago talking about the old school mentality of just being bigger than the other team and running the ball until they're too tired to stop you and i think that that is something that we're definitely getting away from. And I think it's part of our identity to get away from that, this kind of new school idea. And chopping wood isn't just chopping wood until the log breaks, so to speak. It's it's chopping wood the most efficient, correct way. Yeah, no, it's it's not just like, you're not running your head into the wall just to prove yeah. you have good work ethic. It's, it's a focus on process and not having results-oriented thinking. Which is, it's neat to see that in action. That's what's crazy is just like the the concept that you could approach the process of preparing for the game as its own art form. And it's pretty clear that that's what this is. That's the model at UGA right now. Um, Have you got anything else about the Rose Bowl? Yeah, because so you kind of covered the team, the Redcoats, the away game, the Rose Bowl itself. I had the opportunity and the pleasure to be in Athens during this game. We watched the game with um, Ryan and his family, and then after the game, Anna and I decided to go home. We were like, oh, we're so tired, and we are just kind of uh, marinating in the happiness and everything that had just happened and kind of in disbelief still, but we decided instead of going home, that we were going to head downtown and just see what was going on, and we kind of jokingly thought and, and said like there would be like riots and like the bars would be burnt down, but no, it was like, it was like the purest and just happiest and best energy downtown has i've ever seen downtown like we parked the car got out it was maybe 20 degrees it was absolutely frigid but the line for the chapel bell for everybody to ring the chapel bell was all the way down to broad street which is a good i don't know it's a few hundred yards it was pretty awesome you could hear the bell ringing the moment we parked the car at every intersection there was just uh just a chorus of cars like honking at each other and people just wooing out of the cars and and it was it was not obnoxious in any way because I know that, you know, at that late at night uh, on a Monday, um, most people would be pretty upset about that. But every single person out there was excited for yeah. everything going on. And yeah. it was just a really cool feeling and something I don't think I'll ever forget. To be in this moment. Yeah. And everybody was in on the moment. There was not a single person that didn't know what was going on, it seemed. That was my Rose Bowl experience, other than the actual game itself, which I could talk about all day, but 
We all saw it. <laughs> okay, so other experience things that were great. Um, it, that was the greatest light up Krypton thing that we've ever done. I mean, it was just incredible. I'll remember it for the rest of my life. And sitting there in that historic stadium and thinking about just where this team has come and how quickly this season. Um, we can't, you know, I think this is probably kind of a good time to talk transition into like, you know, more um, holistic thoughts about this game. Yeah. But one of the things that I've heard from a lot of people, and I've heard it from Will Leach and I've heard it from Seth Emerson, two people that like, I don't know, that I really like and respect and think that they have really mm-hmm. good thoughts on sports. But something that I disagree with is, you know, they were saying like, well, you have to appreciate this moment because you never know what's going to happen. And, you know, a lot of people seems like that they were going to win a bunch of national championships and they didn't. So you have to just want this to happen, you know, right now. And you can't you can't rely on this being ahead of schedule. And I, I guess, you know, to some extent, that's all true. And look, nobody wants to win more than I do. But I think it's worth I think it's worth taking a moment and thinking about how much how far this program has come and how firmly set up for success it is. And that's the thing. I, I think that the the stakes are so high and the, the intensity and the anxiety is so high right now. It's really easy to hedge that by saying, like, no, you can't jinx it. You have to commit. You have to say that we have to win. We have to do this on Monday. You know, it's been 38 years. If we lose to a Monday, it could be another 38 years. And that's all true, right? But college football is chaotic and there's a lot of bounces and you have to be lucky. But uh, it's good organizations make their own luck. Right. If you need to be lucky on an injury front, a really good way to do that is to have four or five five stars at every position. You know what I mean? If you need to be lucky in reposing a head coach or an assistant coach, a good way to do that is to be an attractive enough um, position for it to attract really good talent. There's no way to totally, you know, remove the whim of fate. And I know that like everybody who a lot of people listening to this are probably knocking on wood and like, you know, trying to like undo the bad karma I've done. But that's the thing is that like if we have anything if we have any brand it's that we rely on rationality and i think it's worth pointing out right now that whatever the result of this game which god knows i want to win and if we don't win which uh we'll talk about that in a little bit if we don't win mm-hmm. i'll cry like a little child if we do win you'll cry like a little child as well though i i literally thought my heart was gonna burst dude in the fourth quarter of the rose bowl i looked down and my fitbit i was i was at 94 beats per minute and I held my hand up and it was just shaking. Like, I thought I might actually have, like, a panic attack. Mm-hmm. Anyway, I might that might have been what was happening. There's a good chance. I think I screamed myself sick. I was sick the three days afterwards. And it was not from, like, drinking or anything. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I'm still pretty sick. So, yeah, I just I just think it's it's important to think about where we are as a program and how we are set up for success going forward. And, no, you cannot rely on success. And, yes, you have to cheer your heart out. And, yes, you have to get it done on Monday. But acting like that we that this is just some fluke does a disservice to what Kirby has built in two years. And yes, it has to do with the good schedule. It has to do with the seniors coming back. It has to do with a special senior class. But none of those things happen if Kirby doesn't set the table organizationally. And it's like, you can't totally make your own luck, but it's like, notice how Alabama keeps winning and having good luck. It's unlikely that we're going to be the next Alabama because it's unlikely that anyone's ever going to have this kind of dominance going forward. But acting like that this stuff is just all like random noise and like, you know, everything that happens in college football is just like the words of an idiot signifying nothing. That also does that also kind of understates the the science of the game, I think. We've talked about all the Oklahoma game. We've we've pulled through all the emotions of it and we've digested it as best we can. But we'll probably be going back to that for the rest of our lives, most likely. Um, but in the meantime, let's go ahead and move on to the big game, the big Monday game, the Alabama uh, revenge tour culmination that is the national championship here in 2018. So talk about some of the narratives surrounding this game, Nathan. What are you, what are you hearing? What are you seeing? etc. I mean, I think the general consensus in the media seems to be that Alabama is the, if not prohibitive, heavy favorite. I think um, all of the people who I've heard picking Georgia, it's been like sort of as a contrarian upset pick. Yeah. I've seen a lot of feel-good articles I mean, I, out there. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I, it it seems fair. I think people are. I think you know, there's a narrative that Alabama's been here before and UGA hasn't, which is true. And there's a narrative that you know Alabama. There's a narrative that you know Alabama has more of like the the experience in their coaching staff, which is sort of true. Um, I haven't really seen anything denigrating UGA, but of course, I don't really encounter a lot of the hot take artists. Well, no, hold on. I did. I know that, like, Colin Cowherd said we were going to get run out of the building. I know that, uh, 
I'm sorry, I have a great radio voice today. I know that uh, a lot of the talking heads on ESPN have been picking Alabama and thinking that we can't hang with them. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, it seems to be the general public and a lot of the like media are very pro Alabama. They always have been there. That's, that's yeah. the main thing. Yeah, I mean, and that's the main thing I've seen so far. There doesn't seem to be a lot of like, I, I mean, it's weird because like, you know, there's the student versus the pupil, and we've talked about that part. The, one of the things I thought was interesting is that, um, is that you know, there's there's a lot of. It seems like that there's a lot of uh, real anti-SEC stuff going around, mm-hmm. which is I think interesting. Um, people are apparently tired of the SEC, I guess, and there's definitely seems to be like Danny Canal seems to be leading this charge about how like we need to change the playoff because of this Mm -hmm. and how, you know, this is going to be a super boring game and how this is the worst possible national championship because it's regional, blah, blah, blah. So, I mean, that's, that's kind of outside the confines of the game, but there seems to be quite a bit of hate for the fact that two SEC teams got in. Yeah. Which I I feel like it's been that way for a long time now at this point, like ever since Alabama got really good and then, you know, the rest of the teams and the the SEC kind of, we had that whole, I guess like 2008 to 2013 or 14 or so where it was just SEC dominance um, but it, I mean, it hasn't been that long in the grand scheme of things, to be honest, like, yeah, yeah, you know, it hasn't been an SEC dominant thing forever, but I mean, it, it feels like it. it feels like it, um, yeah. especially since I feel like the, no offense to anybody whatsoever, but the average football fan, the, you know, because of the way that the media is, is made and hot takes are so rampant. I feel like the average football fans attention span is pretty short. And so that comes with, uh, you know. A short-term memory as well <laughs> you know you i think one of the interesting things this isn't this isn't really a narrative this is just something i've observed is that um now that we're here i'm noticing how many new people come in for the national championship like media who don't really care about uh college football but just want a hot take and fans who don't really care about college football who but have to have you know something to say basically yeah they just do it for the likes man they just do it because it's mm-hmm. hot right now mm-hmm. um it's a little bit ridiculous, but yeah, you want to move into some, some statsy goodness. Cause you were talking about everybody saying how we can't hang. And I'm really excited to kind of talk about that because I want to talk about how the Clemson game went and how Alabama season is kind of gone. Cause we really haven't talked about Alabama much other than just saying like, yeah, Alabama's good. And maybe we'll see them one day. Um, before that we said, we'll see them in the sec championship and they lost to right. Auburn, of course. And right. now we are still seeing them somehow. Um, I still, the only, I guess, hot take I have about the playoff system is that I don't entirely agree with Alabama getting in. I think it's completely unfair for somebody who hasn't won their their region or their conference to get into the playoffs. Um, but that's not up to me. But Well, I mean, it's one of those like most deserving versus yeah. best teams thing. Alabama has certainly been one of the best teams this yeah, year. Yeah, easily. It just depends on what you think the playoffs should be, yeah. right? If the playoffs should be the most deserving teams then it's to, you know maybe they shouldn't be in but the problem is like i don't know who like i don't know who else it would be you know what yeah i, mean? I know because yeah. like if you put in ohio state then you've basically got you got a team that lost by 30 to iowa mm-hmm. and then they could be in the national championship it's a tough situation and then a lot of people say that you should have put in ucf and you know hindsight's 2020 20, that if we would have put in ucf against any of these four teams i don't think they would have done well they were no, they were able to no. handle uh, Auburn fairly well. I mean, they're they're a really good team. yeah they're a really they're good a really team, good team. But I would not have and seen maybe them. they could have snuck up on somebody, but I, I I don't think they would have won. No, they would not have beat say Oklahoma at all. Mm-hmm. Uh, and who would have got yeah yeah I don't know. Or they would not have beat Clemson. They might have beat Clemson actually. Now that I look at it, uh, but that's not neither here nor there. We're not talking about what ifs, but let's talk about Alabama's schedule real quick. I was just going to say Alabama is good. They're not a bad team whatsoever. They're they're not going. Yeah, to, they've had to the be tenth, bad. the tenth best schedule in the nation. Yeah, per S and P plus. They just had a, a very above average, um, very above average uh, schedule here with a few big names coming there in the end. There. Yeah, they've definitely. They're kind of doing the thing that uh, the teams do in the NFL, where they just peak at the right mm-hmm. time. Like they were always good, but they had shown a little bit of vulnerability, and then they. They lose to Auburn, they show very vulnerability, and then they come back and they just beat the crap out of Clemson. And it's like, this really feels like the uh, NFL wildcard team that gets hot at the right time a little bit. I mean, they were always good, but it's like now they're really good. Yeah. But yeah, it is what it is. You want to talk about uh, their five factors? Yeah, yeah. And I think their five factors is going to be 
it's kind of emblematic of who they are as a team. Statistically, they're just good at everything. Yeah. So, offensively, efficiency, 11. Uh, explosiveness, 27th in the nation. Field position, 3rd in the nation. Finishing drives, 26th in the nation. Defensively, efficiency, 5th. Um, explosiveness, 6th. Field position, 2nd. And finishing drives, 4th. Uh, they are the 22nd ranked overall uh, offense by S&P Plus and the number one overall defense. Yep. And they are number one overall S&P Plus, um, right? Yeah, in front of Ohio State and Georgia. So, like we said, not a bad team. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's... Okay, see, this is this kind of runs me into one of my takes on this game. It's it's just... it's There's not a lot of separation between these two teams. Yeah. You know what I mean? Georgia has a slightly better offense. Alabama has a slightly better defense. Alabama's best unit is probably better than Georgia's best unit. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, if you go position by position, it's like, well, if you say quarterback and offensive line are to- and running back are all toss-ups, probably. Mm-hmm. Wide receiver, you'd have to give to Alabama. Defensive line, you'd give it to Alabama. Uh, linebackers, you'd give it to Georgia cornerbacks you'd give to alabama mm-hmm. safeties you'd give to alabama kickers you'd give to georgia punters you'd give to georgia so you can just go back and forth tight ends you'd give to georgia so you just go back and forth and it's like really difficult to see where one team has a weakness that the other can exploit really yeah. and with these kinds of games i guess it kind of comes down to luck and what i mean by that is yeah. turnovers um turnover margin is going to be yeah. huge in this game and Alabama has plus 2.48 mm-hmm. points per game turnover luck right now. And so, and we have a 0.24 positive um, turnover luck right now. Yeah. So we are less lucky than Alabama at this point. Unfortunately. I mean, so if we look in, you know, it's kind of interesting because if you look down into their rushing and passing st- statistics, the first thing you'll notice is that um, on defense, they're just good at everything. Mm-hmm. I mean, they're just really good at defense. Like, they're the best defense in the country, and there's pretty much not like you know when we were talking about Oklahoma, we were saying like, well, they can do this, this, and this, but they can't do this, and that's the path to win, yeah. right? And the weird thing about predicting this game is that there's nothing like that. Like I can't, there's not really anything that Alabama does that I think is gonna. Uh, there's nothing that Alabama does that really exploits a weakness of UGA. Mm-hmm. Other than maybe like outside wide receiver play, but even then, Calvin Ridley has about six times more targets than the rest of their targets combined. And then simultaneously, there's nothing that UGA does that doesn't run directly into a strength of Alabama. So it's really difficult. Like, you know, Alabama rushing S and P plus defense will first, rushing success rate second, rushing ISOPPP first, adjusted line yards seventh, opportunity rate third, power success rate one nineteen, which is weird, but I guess not a lot of places they don't get a lot of snaps in mm. power success, you know, short yardage things. And then stuff rate 38th. I think it takes a little bit more digging than just looking at Alabama's uh, kind of defensive footprint and offensive footprint to see a weakness. But what I do like about, um, I, I did a little bit of digging into their, their schedule and who they've played and whatnot. But what I did find is they have not, pl- the, the highest ranked uh, explosive offense they've played. Okay. I'm going to go down their schedule real quick and just give you, Something that we're really good at that we found out that we know uh, have known all year, but especially this Oklahoma game, is that we have a very explosive offense, obviously. We have the ninth best explosive offense in the, in the league. So going down their schedule real quick, you got Clemson. Uh, their explosiveness on offense is 119. Um, Auburn is f- 72. Mississippi State, I'm not even going to go past Mississippi State because the rest don't really matter. 125. They have not played right. anybody barely what within like uh, above the the midway point in explosiveness um and i think that definitely huh. they got really lucky because their linebacker core has been so weak this season because there have been a lot of injuries well they've been injured yeah. yeah they were good they're still but... good yeah they're one of the best defenses in, they're the best defense in the country excuse me but i think that that right. still is the big weakness and that's what everybody notices but i think they have gotten really lucky even though their strength of schedule is as good as it is I don't think that that tells the whole story necessarily without a little bit of digging. So I do think that that could still potentially be the key to success, even though we don't see anything at face value immediately on their stats um, without a little bit of digging. But I guess we could kind of look into that too on the defensive side of things. Like you were saying, their power success rate is so low. Well, I mean, the other thing I noticed when I looked at their, um, one of the things I wanted to pull out from looking at their thing is that, um, the game that they lost this year, they had a bad day. They had like a 55 percentile performance day on offense, on defense, but they had a really, really bad day on offense. Mm-hmm. You know, 
Um, if you look at their all of their success rates, not very good. Just, like passing yeah. success this rate, this game was bad across. Right, all, the rushing success rate fifty three. That's great, but they had sixty one plays for three hundred yards. They had five scoring opportunities, and they their opportunities are their points per drive was 2.8 so it's like they just didn't convert their offense shut down Jalen Hurts had 93 yards running but you know passing he just had like an average day 12 for 22 two sacks zero picks zero touchdowns so I mean I guess the model I think is more yeah I think we're gonna we're gonna have more success against them than other teams have had because we have a better offense but I don't know that you know we're gonna score 30 against them and it seems like the model that for beating this team is to befuddle their offense. Yep. And so that's the question is, can we do that? Because I think that I think their defense is like a known quantity. I think their defense is just going to be really good and we're going to have to really grind and it's going to be really frustrating a lot. You know what I'm saying? To, to get, um, to get points against them. So the question is, can we, you know, get a turnover? Can we get a short field? Can we get, you know, score points on defense? And can we just like generally befuddle them enough on an offense that puts more pressure on their D? Mm-hmm. I'm really hoping that, man, just looking at this Clemson game with Alabama, I'm really hoping that we're going to get a good game regardless, but I think that Alabama is, has got to be hurting after a week of of this. Because <laughs> this game just looks rough on both sides of the ball. Clemson in the first quarter, the success rate was 0%. They had zero success in the first quarter. That's absolutely insane. But, no, this was just a really, really tough game. Even tougher, like than our Oklahoma game really because our defense wasn't on the field as much as it could have been, you know? And so I think our defense is going to be a bit fresher mm-hmm. than theirs. Definitely. Um, but then of course you have Alabama strength and conditioning behind them. Yeah. Which is of course, legendarily good. I, I guess too, it's really funny because we can just go back and forth on this as much as we want because those teams are too so evenly matched, but I think you're right. Cause um, one of my favorite stats that I saw was that versus teams ranked in the top 50 in total defense, um, Jalen Hurts, his completion percentage under pr- pressure is 45.2%, point, and his completion percentage of 15-plus yards downfield is 36.7. So I think that what, what that tells you is that we're going to be crowding the line. We're going to make them throw. We're going to try to get them in behind the chains and be inefficient, and we're going to try to force Jalen Hurts to throw downfield because he just hasn't been good at doing it. The question is just, can we make that matter by getting points on the other side? And I, and I think you're right that, you know, um, Bama has three linebackers starting that either their first or second game this game, you know, which is would would be very disturbing except for the fact Still that Alabama. they, <laughs> yeah, they're, all three of those were top fifty players. Yeah. So the question is, how much does that inexperience matter, or are they just so good that it doesn't, you know? And so that's, I don't know. It's like there's this. If I even if I take my sort of fanness out of this and try to think about it rationally, this is an incredibly difficult game to prognosticate just because it's hard to find anything where anyone has a claw of an advantage unless unless for some reason Alabama's freshman linebackers look more like freshmen than we think. They definitely could, and that could be something we're playing up to. I imagine there's probably some sort of system that Nick Saban puts into place like that you can mm-hmm. just fit these cogs into the machine and they'll just do what they need to do because it's worked for as long as it has. And if that is right. the case, which it most likely is, Kirby Smart knows that system, and he knows how to exploit it. On the other hand, Nick Saban definitely knows that Kirby would know that. And so this is weird, like, forgive me for using a meme lord term, chess game. but it's No, it's true. There definitely is. Yeah, and it's going to be a chess game depending on, like, who takes whose bluff, and at the end of the day, I guess, who, you know, outplays the other play, uh, coach, essentially. Yeah. So it's going to yeah. be interesting, but I I still think going down the back down the stats before we get into like what we want to see, um, some interesting stuff about Alabama real quick on say you were talking about getting Jalen Hurts to pass. Yeah, it's, there are some stats on standard down and passing down that are pretty telling of that specifically. That I think it's going to be really not easy to keep him um, contained, but I think that's a good observation that that's probably the route we'll take. For instance, yeah, I mean he can run. Yeah. He can definitely run. He can he can definitely run. He's he's one of the better running quarterbacks, probably the best running quarterback we've we've faced this year, but he, he doesn't have the throwing to back to back that up. And so if we can make him one dimensional, it it'll be go a long way to making this whole Alabama offense one dimensional. Well, I I think we've definitely want him to scramble uh in the standard downs, right? Definitely want him to scramble right, and get right, him down right. into passing downs until to where he has to pass. So putting pressure early 
and then you know pulling the linebackers back uh and and containing the the wide receivers inside trying to get them to to pass downfield is definitely going to be important because he is 70th passing down success rate right now smack dab in the middle and they don't you know it's like it hasn't mattered because nobody's been able to score on them and also no one's been able to like sort of contain their rushing attack when they do want to run but i think this is one of those things where you have to you know every little tiny weakness that you have as a team is going to get exposed and it's weird because i think that alabama's top end is probably better than georgia's top end like i mean that in the sense that like alabama has more depth they have more experience their best players are better in some ways Mm -hmm. right at some positions but alabama's weaknesses i think are also a little bit more glaring than uga's in the sense that like it's not even if they're five stars it's not nothing starting freshman linebackers you know what i mean even if even if you're so good at running it usually doesn't matter it's not nothing that you can't throw so it's you know it, it the question to me is just do alabama's highs matter more or do their lows matter mm-hmm. more do the things they do well cancel out the fact that they have some things that could be viewed as weaknesses you know what yeah. i mean talk to me about what what it is you want to see from from our team what what do we have to do to win and then we can get into over-unders what is, what are we going to see that is not good what are we going to see that we need to see to win okay well i we're, we're not gonna be able to run on them and so that's yeah. that's that, I think that's the most essential problem is that nobody's been able to run on them. And if we do, I mean, I, we're going to try and we're going to get some yards, but we're not going to be. It's not going to be like Oklahoma, and it's not even going to be like you know Auburn because they just tackle so well in space. Um, I I what I want to see is I was thinking about like so what wrinkles can you put in for this game that you haven't put in before? What what do we not have on film that we could put on film? And one of the things I think we could do that would be easy and wouldn't involve us like reinventing our identity would just be to start targeting the tight end. I was thinking about how a few years ago, Alabama had this tight end, OJ Howard, Mm -hmm. OJ Howard. There was a a few years ago, OJ Howard had like 10 targets during the year. And then he had like 15 targets during the national championship. And I wonder if that's not what we're going to see something like that, where all of a sudden Isaac Nodic just catches like 10 balls in this game. Um, Because if you want to put stress on, a very, very talented and excellent but young linebacking core. That's one of the ways that you would do yep. it. So you can imagine, are, are you expecting maybe tight ends to line up with wide receivers, uh, more of a spread offense than what we've been seeing uh, all year? Um, actually, I, I no, I don't think we'd, we'd necessarily spread it out. I think we would run everything the way we've been running it out of the same packages, but just start targeting the tight end gotcha. more. You know, I think that it, it's one thing that might be that we might see is just – I, I could see this game turning on special teams and special teams is a ta- is a place where, you know, weirdly Georgia has the advantage. Oh, yeah. JK Scott is just as good, if not better than Cameron Nizelec, but they don't, their, um, their place kicking is not as good as ours. Rodrigo <laughs> um, is, is special. And he hit a 55 yarder and that's a real weapon in a game that might be decided by whoever gets to 24 first. And, so one of the things that I would like to see is just us relying on our special teams and us making plays in special teams. And whether that's in return game or pinning them deep or just making long kicks, all of those things. This is going to be a game played on the margins, which is to say that every little percentage point advantage is going to be very important. Mm-hmm. Yeah, looking down their special teams, S&P Plus, there is a, a, a big margin between these two teams. We are still number one, of course. Um, and then Alabama's S&P Plus overall is 40 I, I definitely think it'll come down once again to special teams, like you're saying, like it did for the Oklahoma game. Right. I mean, in some ways, yeah, certainly. I mean, if we can block a kick, if we can block a punt, yeah. whatever. I think we can. I think we can hold Alabama a bit better than most of these teams have defensively. Um, I think you're right saying that we're not going to be, we're not going to have a lot of success running on this game. Uh, absolutely not. Yeah. We we'll be lucky. I think if we get to 120, 150 yards combined total. But if we can hold them long enough, and our special teams come out the way they have. I think we have a better chance of winning this game. It'll be a real boring game, but it'll be a, a knockout blowout kind of game. Every expert I've been seeing, every analyst has been, uh, they are, they do want, they don't want, but they, they expect Alabama to win, but it's all by a very, very small margin. Yeah. Yeah. And that, I mean, that doesn't, that doesn't really bother me no, at all. It doesn't bother me either. I think that there's a very good argument to be made that Alabama will win this game. Let me put it that yeah. way. Okay. Let's get into over-unders. What do you think? What do you want to see? What do you think is going to happen? I'm going to say over under. I'm going to give you just a raw point total over under. Mm-hmm. Okay, you ready yeah. for this? 
over under 44 and a half points combined total yeah uh i'm gonna say under i think it's gonna be a game that someone's gonna be in the teens and someone's gonna hit 20 um my my full prediction of this game is gonna i think the spread will be it'll be hard pressed to get to 48 i think yeah i i I would probably take over but that's uh actually no i I think you're right i think under because like 45 points you don't even get that if it's 21 20 uh 24 20 Mm. or over under this is calling back to something i i mentioned earlier over under georgia 120 rushing yards over over where do you think we'll see it i just think that this is too explosive this this game is too, or this this running this team as a running team is too damn explosive, and you're not gonna. I I just I you, I can't see it. I I can't see them holding us totally down forever. Now, yeah, they're gonna hold us down, but we could get to 120 pretty easy with a pretty bad game plus a 70 yard run from Sony, mm-hmm. and I don't think it's unreasonable to think that might happen. All right, what else you got? Over under. Oh, that's my mom calling me. Hold on. Sorry, mom. Love you. <laughs> She actually sometimes uh, listens to this, so she won't hear this. Sorry, Mom, I love you. I'll call you in a second. Um, over under two turnovers combined from both quarterbacks. I think over. Mm. How do you think those are going to come? I think that – I don't want to say it, but I think that we're we're probably going to see a Jake from lost fumble, I feel, just getting sacked in the backfield. Because Alabama defense is so explosive, and they have so many big guys that just – they. they have so much talent to cover the field. They're like you said, they're not weak on any one point. So I think they're going to be able to put pressure on us almost the entire game. And so that's going to get to our offensive line. They're going to get to Jake Fromm. I think that eventually, I honestly think he's going to get sacked a few times, unfortunately. And um, I think that'll could potentially lead to a Jake Fromm fumble and, and loss. I also think we're going to be able to get to Jalen hurts. Um, I think we're going to make him scramble a little bit. I think eventually he'll have to, to lose one of those balls. I would like to think so. So I'm, that's kind of what I'm thinking. It's going to come from pressure on, on each of these defenses getting the quarterback and, and scrambling or Jake Fromm not seeing a, right. a blitz from behind or something. Over under a combined seven field goals. Jeez, <laughs> mm, yeah. dude. That's, now I'm just sad. Uh, I'll say under. I think it'll be yeah, six. Yeah, I think six is a pretty fair get. I was going to say six first, but I wanted to just have a little bit of dramatic flair. Uh yeah, I think this will be a defensive battle, and that's kind of why everyone's saying it'll be boring. Uh, I'll, I'll push uh, and hit seven. I, I'd like to think that our special teams will eke out, and that's how we'll, we'll maybe win this game. But I don't know how well our defense mm-hmm. will hold up against this team. We'll see. Man, this is a real downer of an episode, huh? <laughs> well, I mean, mainly just because I'm sick. But, I mean, honestly, though, I, I, I honestly... I honest to God do I I do deeply think that we can win this yeah. game. Um, it's just that it, it is true that like this game is probably going to be pretty ugly. Yeah. <laughs> like I mean, there's no you can't debate that. Yeah. I don't think. I did just see that uh, it looks like Charlie Warner is going to be doubtful for the game. Yeah, I saw that. Jason Stanley's playing though. Okay. We'll see what happens in the tight so end that's, category. That's bad. Which is important. Um, yeah, I mean, he had a couple of he had a couple of really good catches. He did, actually. yeah. He was definitely a target, uh, definitely a weapon. What else do you want to see? You want to talk about Roquan? You got any over unders for him? Number of times I will say I love you <laughs> as I fall asleep next to my Roquan Smith body. <laughs> over under forty two. Over. Yeah. Oh, way over. Way over. Uh, yeah. Okay, that's all the over unders I got. <laughs> no, I I hear I have okay. one. I actually do have one. Let me say this: over under. Oh man, this is brutal. Okay, over under three missed tackles from all linebackers in the game on both sides. Oh dang! Both yeah, teams over one, under right? missed tackles by linebackers. I think that's a push. And I'm I'm, think exactly I'm not thinking three. like three in the same drive. I'm thinking like if three linebackers miss tackles in the same drive or the same play, then I'm counting that as one. Unless you're counting it otherwise. No, no, no. It's a, yeah, count it as okay. one. Yeah, I'm. I'm I, I'd like to think push. I think there could definitely be at least three explosive plays off this game. Uh, Alabama's running game is very good. I think Jalen Hurts will get through on an explosive play. He's got to. Um, and I definitely think Michelle's going to get through as well. He might even get through twice. Maybe somebody might get through if there is potentially um, a semblance of a garbage time. I don't think there will be a true garbage time, but there will be a time where maybe a touchdown doesn't matter for a team. And mm-hmm. um, they'll end up letting, not letting, but it might be a chance for a running back to get through or, a particularly wiry uh all right you ready for some predictions you want to give me your prediction or you want me to give my prediction i want your prediction because i'm still sort of like this is a tough game to predict 
I do think that we're going to see a lot from Rod. Old, old Rod God. I think we'll old see Hot Rod. Hot Rod. I, one of my favorite things is the is when uh, there's another podcast, uh, Solid Verbal, and every time they say Rodrigo Blankenship's name, they say it with this like Spanish flair and talk about how it's like a fake <laughs> name that... Uh, it's like a fake name that someone that's on the run would have. Yeah, that's why he has like the glasses and everything and the bad mustache. It's all like a like a costume he's wearing. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, so I think that we'll see. I think we'll see three, and at most four field goals from Rodrigo, just because he's a great kicker and I think he can kick plenty downfield. Mm-hmm. Um, that'll put us at nine or twelve points. I think that we'll see an explosive play, if we're lucky, two explosive plays uh, from the running backs or a crazy bomb down okay. downfield because. You know, people talk about Jake Fromm, and really they just crap on him because he's a freshman quarterback. And they say, well, Georgia's got a freshman quarterback, and they can't do crap. Well, Jalen Hurts was a freshman quarterback one year ago, and, and he did essentially the same thing. Sure, he lost. Yeah, and if that logic but, if that logic applies to uh, quarterbacks, it also implies to linebackers. Yeah, absolutely. And so I'm, I'm not too worried about Jake Fromm being a freshman quarterback. In fact, he's the, by a lot of stats, the best quarterback in the nation right now. He's the most consistent. Well, in the SEC, Yeah, certainly. by S&P Plus, he is the best quarterback in the nation. I'll tell you this much. He's definitely the best quarterback still playing. He's... Looking at you, Baker Mayfield. <laughs> Enjoy your draft, Brad. Yeah. Uh, we could have a whole rant episode about why they should pick the Heisman after the season, but that's neither here nor there right now. Yeah, I don't have the voice to carry that. Yeah, that right. would be too much for us right this moment. But I think with the best quarterback in the nation, let's take away his age for a moment. We have the best quarterback in the nation. We have the most explosive running back core and the deepest running back core in the nation. With those two things combined, I think something's got to give on this This. Alabama D. I don't think they've played anybody this explosive. They haven't played anybody this persistent or deep on the offensive side of the ball. I think we can expect at the very least one explosive touchdown. I think we could hopefully reasonably expect two. And then anywhere from three to four field goals from Rod. So I'm thinking that Georgia could feasibly put themselves at around 23 points or so. That's not out of the question. Now, Alabama, I don't think has any issue doing the same thing. Um, I think they'll have less field goals. I think they'll be able to get a few more touchdowns in. I think I could see them getting to 28, or I could see them staying at 21 and us keeping them uh, and preventing them from getting that last drive for a field goal. So instead of, am I cheating by just giving you two different predictions where one team wins or the other team wins? (laughs) A little bit, I think I am am cheating. I'm going to say Georgia 24-21 because I don't want to live in a world where Alabama wins 28-24. Let me just, I'm going to just out loud thought experiment. Do it. Stream of consciousness. So, UJZ gets held down in the run game, um, and we, you know, it's we're stymied in the first half, and maybe Alabama gets a special teams touchdown, or they get a de- defensive touchdown, and they go up, you know, 10 points early. Nah, 7 points early. So, it's, you know, it's like 10-3 or something. UJ comes back in the third, makes a bunch of adjustments, ties it up. Back and forth, lots of punts. So, now we're looking at, like, what, 17-17 or something, mm-hmm. right? Not a lot going on, really. You know, it's boring. People hate it, whatever. Mm-hmm. So we get to the fourth quarter. People play Krypton. Well, people, the Redcoats play Krypton. <laughs> it's a really good moment for everyone involved. And uh, then we get into the fourth quarter, and the question is, who do you trust more? It's it's really tough because I trust Jake Fromm more, but I probably trust their defense more mm-hmm. too. And it's in these margins that you have to, when you get this close in terms of prediction and prognostication, you have to kind of basically get all of the all of the different stats that you can but ultimately you have to just like use your intuition and what my intuition tells me and i've really thought a lot about this and i don't think this is wishful thinking because i do think alabama can win this game i just i think this is just the year i I really do and if alabama wins this game like sure i'll be disappointed but i'm not gonna be like shocked or anything it's not gonna break my heart because i'm not afraid to make the prediction that uj is going to be keep being good going forward but i it just feels like that this team is very complete they play within themselves they have a sense of who they are that this is UGA and you know, they've played a really bad game, but they have a very solid identity. And I think you can make an argument that they have been tested more than Alabama mm-hmm. has. I would definitely agree with you. So you go into the fourth quarter, 17, 17, both of these teams are pretty locked in. I just feel like we have one or two more plays in us than they yeah. do. I really do. I'm going to say 24, 17 UGA. Yeah. Hell yeah. I definitely think that, we have something, and I've, I've been reading a few articles about, I think a lot of people have probably seen that Jake Fromm article that why he came to Georgia instead mm-hmm. of Alabama. Mm-hmm. And we won't get into mm-hmm. it now, but maybe we'll link to it maybe in our Twitter or something. I think that what that article tells me, and it didn't tell me explicitly, but what I can glean from that article is that Georgia has something that a lot of other teams don't. 
And a lot of other teams have a, a, a bit of this and some form of this, but what Georgia has is, is heart. And this isn't a cheesy, like mighty ducks way of saying this. Like Georgia actually does have a lot of heart, a lot of emotion, a lot, not necessarily writing on this, but they've come from a place that isn't just business. They've come from a place that yeah. everything that they do means something. And to some teams on yeah. the field, that turns into, and then it translates into raw emotion. But this team has a, a leader and a coach and a staff that has kind of honed that in and kind of guided it and navigated it to a place where it doesn't affect them negatively. It only affects them positively. And mm-hmm. they care about each other and they love each other. And everything you say about the Redcoats, I think, totally applies to this football team. And that's not something you can say yeah. a lot about a lot of the programs out there. And I I can't say either way of if that's true or not for Alabama. But if you were to look at these two teams, you see <laughs> the the first uh, example that, that came to mind was Neo and Agent Smith. And it's like you have the business side, the robot, and then you have, you know, the hero. Yeah. And I think that that's definitely a narrative that I probably just, you know, put together in a hot take that is not necessarily welcome on this podcast. But And I also have a bias, but I definitely think that's true. And I think that's something that you can't quantify. And it's something that will come through in this game more than any other game that we've seen so far. Hey, can we can we talk about – do you want to talk about loving each other and loving this team? Yeah. Did you know Rodrigo Blankenship turned down a, a scholarship from Florida to walk on at Georgia? Yeah, he didn't even have a scholarship until this year, did he? Mm-hmm. I didn't know that. That's awesome. I knew that he didn't have a scholarship, but I knew that he wanted to be at Georgia. Um, okay, so here's my last anecdote. Here's the thing I'm going to leave you with. In the fourth quarter of the Rose Bowl, and sorry, you can take this out, but it's going to get emotional. One of one of <laughs> one of the one of the staff members on UGA, or one of the staff members for Redcoats, just uh, Facebook like tagged the band director in a post asking will the Redcoats be in Atlanta for mm-hmm. the game like and he good and well knows because he's going on the trip so it's like what a troll anyway during the fourth quarter of the game I sat with this guy named John Motes who is like one of our drum guys he's a great dude mm-hmm. he's one of those guys that like I like I love him normally but like he's a really good guy to watch a football team with if you know what yeah. I'm saying like he's he's just like the right kind of person he's got the right attitude so you know it looked like we we're gonna lose <laughs> pretty pretty easily it looked like we we're gonna lose right and we're sitting there in the fourth quarter and they come back and they get that turnover and they're up 44 38 and I, w- I looked at him and i was like you know it sucks but this has probably been the best rose bowl of all time easily and here we are here we are you know what i mean and i'm happy that we were here and he was like yeah and then there was like a lull in the conversation and he's just like actually you know what and i look back at him and he's like let's just win He's like, let's just win. I don't, like, yeah, it's cool that we're here, but let's win. Let's just win it right now. And then we did. And I, I don't have any, like, deep – I don't have a lot of, like, deep insights into how this game is going to go. But I just think sometimes you just have a special season, and this is going to be a special season. It's going to be one for the ages no matter what happens. And I don't know. I, I'm not afraid of losing this game. Because we might, but I'm just not afraid of it because I trust this team. And even if we do, like this has been probably the greatest two months of my life sports-wise. Not probably. There's no probably about it. Absolutely has been. And, you know, at this point, the only thing left to do is to win the Natty. Everything else is done. And I just feel relaxed about it. I feel like we're playing with house money. Let's just do it. (laughs) Before we get out of here also, and we can move this around. We can move this back if you want. I do want to give a shout out to Luis Ortiz. Who was that? That's the name of the guy who drunkenly found me at the Rose Bowl and was like, "Hey, are you Chapel Bell Curve?" <laughs> um, it was very sweet. He Facebook messaged me. Good man. Oh, also, I want to. I just want to give another one other little shout out, and this is more of a sh- kind of a sad shout out, obviously, honestly. But um, freaking West Coast mm-hmm. Mark saw me at the game and called my name, and I missed him. Dang. He was sitting in the front row, and he was like, "Nathan," and I just didn't see him at all. And he was like, dude, you big timed me. You big timed like, okay. me. <laughs> I was like, all right, I, you know what? Actually, Nathan's I didn't. forgetting I feel, about I the little people. That. I know. Once I got popular, I started getting these passes. <laughs> That's not good. I mean, I'm feeling emotional and all, and I, I want everything to go well, but I, we do have a couple reviews. It feels like a weird time to, to give reviews, but I, we could give those real no, quick. No, let's do them. Let's do them. Um, we have a few. We have one on Facebook from uh, a Daniel Kirkland. It was a five-star review on January 2nd. It said, excellent stats-focused cast by two dogs who can somehow remain pretty unbiased, informative, and entertaining. Go dogs. Well, sorry about this emotional uh-huh. field. We were, yeah. I was about to say, we were, we were pretty unbiased right until I started predicting we were going to win. Yep, yep. Um, 
We also have a couple iTunes um, reviews. One from Jordan Coker, whose uh, wedding I went to, actually. A very fancy wedding. Yeah, that's what I say. That's a former season. Yep, really good time. He gives a five-star review on December 20th, so we've missed it for a, a couple weeks, but it's been a crazy couple weeks, so forgive us, Jordan. Five stars said, Nathan and Justin are cool people anyway, but hearing them nerd out about Georgia football this season makes them somehow seem even cooler. I share Nathan's raw, sometimes rage-filled passion with the dogs and against basically everyone else. But applying this objective stats-based analysis keeps me grounded when the dogs make me want to fly. <laughs> Keep up the good work. Well said, P.S. It's okay that you're nerdy slash dirty liberals. <laughs> One time Jordan told me that the only thing liberals were good for, was, the liberals were like slinkies. The only thing they were good for is getting pushed downstairs. <laughs> and I almost got in a fist fight with them. He's like, have you met me? I love, uh, I love Another him. one is from my very informed um, and very opinionated now uncle-in-law i guess i would call him uh m hutchinson 007 uh super informative and fun for any uga fan tons of meaningful stats i'd never heard any place else that are spot on kudos so another weird thing Uh i found out recently is that my uncle and this is anna's uncle they both played water volleyball 20 years ago together and I don't know, That's I'm really pretty sure weird. they weren't pulling my leg, but that would be a classic uncle thing to do. Be like, yeah, water ball. Is water volleyball like a real, <laughs> a real um, sport? I would think so because my, I mean, after seeing my uncle, yes. Um, my uncle is a great big personal trainer, uh, fitness instructor. And I, that's not something I think, he's the kind of guy that would play like, like cricket, oh, not cricket. Cricket is a very rough sport. I was thinking of. Um, he would play like some yeah, made, some up, made sport. up sport and be like, yes, I'm the best at it. And I've been to the championship three years in a row very competitive guy but i think it's real and i know that he did play water volleyball i didn't know that about marcus but uh i do now i guess but like i said could be an uncle thing this has been chapel bell curve you can find us on itunes google play and pretty much anywhere you can subscribe to a podcast you can get in touch with us on facebook by searching chapel bell curve by email at chapelbellcurve at gmail.com and on twitter and instagram at chapel bell curve Check out our website, chapelbellcurve.com, also to listen to the stuff and see a bunch of social media feeds and see a link to our Patreon. If you like what you heard today, you, you can subscribe and rate and review us on iTunes or wherever you get your podcast. And you can also, if you so please, support us on Patreon and get access to all of the bad, bad words I said that we're going <laughs> to cut out of this podcast. We'll catch you on Monday in the ATL at the MVS. Uh, the Mercedes Benz. Afterwards, I hope. But to until catch then, we'll in the classic city for a crazy party. Yeah, for a parade. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But until then, go, go dogs. dogs.